0: morning. morning. Happy Father's Day. (laughs) Well, thank you. Yes, I have, I have a couple of kids. Yes. (laughs) I want to give you a dad test this morning. Okay. There's going to be a final exam at the end of service. So take notes. Here's your dad test. Okay. You ready? You know, you're a dad if while the checker is scanning something at the checkout counter, And it doesn't scan and you say, I guess that's free then. You know you're a dad. You know you're a dad if you're using a stud finder and you say, Eureka, found a stud. (laughs) You know you're a dad if you tell your son your right hand and he puts out his left and you say, no, your other right. You know you're a dad if you're sitting on the couch sleeping and they say something to you and you say, no, no, I was just resting my eyes. (laughs) And finally, you know you're a dad if you say to your kids, do as I say, not as I. Three of you got that. There's only three dads in the room this morning. Open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. Since it's Father's Day, we're going to take a one-week break out of 1 Corinthians So the Lord is revealed through scripture by many, many names. And we've done studies on this before. But the one name I want to mention to you about God is the name Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah Shammah means the Lord is there. How reassuring is it as a child of the Most High God to know that no matter what we're going through, no matter what's going on around us in the world with all the COVID resurgent and all the illness and all the stuff that's happening The Lord is here. The Lord is with us. He has promised to never leave us, to never forsake us. It's so amazing to me that when you read through the Gospels, how Jesus oftentimes went out of his way to reach the unreachable. What Jesus did to reach people, especially those like me who were in bondage to sin. I I think of the woman at the well. And you think that no good Jew would ever go to Samaria and no good Jew would ever go to see a woman. John 4, 3 says he left Judea and departed for Galilee because he needed to go through Samaria. He needed to go through. Why did Jesus need to go through Samaria? Because he had a God appointment with this sinful woman who needed to hear that there was redemption available to meet with her. What lengths, this is the question I have for you this morning, Christian, what lengths did Jesus go through to reach you? Where did he go through? What town did he go through? What what place did he go through to reach you? And so in the Gospel of Matthew this morning where we are, Jesus had already performed many miracles and then he went out of his way to cross over the Sea of Galilee and he met this man who was demon-possessed. And he went and he cast out all the demons into this herd of swine, and then he crossed back over the Sea of Galilee. And in our passage this morning, Jesus is busy teaching the multitudes about his kingdom. And all of a sudden, some of John the Baptist's disciples come to him, and they ask, why aren't your disciples fasting like John's disciples do? Why aren't they doing what we do? We look religious and they do not. And so Jesus begins to teach them about putting new wine into old wineskins. And, and the lesson was that what you're doing is an old religious system of works, self-effort, and religion. And by the way, it can never hold the spirit of God. If you were to use a new piece of material on an old wine skin, it would shrink over time. And then once you wash it, it would be of no use. And so he's telling them your religious system is unfit to contain a new work of God. And so what Jesus was saying to John's disciples was, look, what you're seeing here is a work of the Holy Spirit. It's out of your control. And so Jesus is saying, the work of the Holy Spirit will endure forever. It's not like your old religion. So if you have your sermon notes there in your bulletin, Roman numeral one, a ruler's desperate worship. If your Bibles are open, Matthew chapter nine, let's begin with verse 18, Matthew nine eighteen it says, while he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshiped him, saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. So imagine what's going on. Jesus is teaching the crowds. And right in the middle of this, all of a sudden, this ruler of the synagogue, this religious leader, this Jewish religious leader, comes to him. Now, if you read Luke 8 and Mark 5, there are parallel accounts of this. And in those accounts, it tells us that this guy's name was Jairus. It was Jairus, and he was a ruler of the synagogue. In fact, he was the chief ruler of the synagogue. He was the highest religious official in Capernaum at that time. So imagine the pope sort of thing of the Jewish religion in Capernaum at that time. Luke 8, 41 says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus, And he was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged him to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, catch this, only one daughter, and she was only 12 years old, and she was dying. His only daughter, she's 12, she's dying. There in your notes, Jairus' name means whom God enlightens. Whom God enlightens. Now, what's so ironic about this whole story is previously in Matthew chapter 8, a centurion came to Jesus and asked Jesus to heal his servant. And Jesus marveled at this Gentile centurion's faith. He marveled at it. Also, catch this, in Luke chapter 6, we're told that the leaders of the synagogue were all mad at Jesus. Why? Because he healed On the Sabbath day. All the leaders of the synagogue were mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. So they're mad that Jesus didn't do things their way, according to their religion. And so this man, Jairus, was one of those rulers who were mad, who was mad at Jesus for healing on the Sabbath day. But now his daughter is dying. And he's a desperate man, and he does not care what anybody else thinks. And he comes to Jesus and says, please come. My daughter's dying, but if you'll just put your hands on her, she'll be okay. There in your notes, when religion or life fails us to the point that we can no longer handle it, it should compel us to be desperate and go to Jesus. Again, Luke eight forty eight tells us that this is Jairus' only daughter, and she's 12, and she's dying. And, and you see, desperation can take away some of those preconceived ideas. Desperation can make us do things that we would never normally do. No matter what your religion thinks, if you know something that will work, and you're desperate, have you ever been that desperate when your only answer is Jesus? It, even if it, it won't work, it can't work but God. It just won't work, but I'm going to go to God anyway. So Jairus puts away his worthless religion for just a moment, and I want you to notice the first thing that he does. First thing that he does is he comes, falls at his feet, and he worships. He worships. There's a great lesson for us. When times are tough, when things are happening in your life, Yes, God will answer our prayer. Oh, God, I need you. Oh, he'll answer those. But what a great lesson. Go to him and worship. God, you are the God who holds the future. You are the God who knows the outcome of this, and you are the God who can change the future. I worship you. In the midst of this storm, I worship you. And so Jairus comes to the end of himself, He's got no power to fix this situation. He has no way so desperate. But he remembered, I saw Jesus heal that guy in the synagogue. And if Jesus could do it then, Jesus could do it now. Let's go to the only one who can. My only daughter, she's 12, she's dying. I need you. Jairus was fool enough to believe that Jesus could raise her back from the dead. And and here's another good lesson for us. By remembering those things that have happened to us in the past and how Jesus showed up against all odds, by remembering that, then we can trust him for now. There in your notes, notice Jesus' response in verse 19. He rose up and followed Jairus to his house, Because, catch this, Jesus is attracted to human weakness. He's attracted to weakness. Can you believe that? That's so hard to believe that Jesus is attracted to weakness. I would think that strong strength and money and power is is attractive, right? Not weakness. But in God's economy, human weakness is attractive. Why? Because you've got to the end of yourself. And you're finally in a place where God can move. You're finally taking your hands off the situation, and I surrender all. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12 said this, "...unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure." Concerning this thing, listen to what Paul says. I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. God, take this thing from me. Take this thing from me. I need you to take this thing from me. God's attracted to weakness. You're finally at the end of yourself. You're finally in a position where I can work through you. You're finally in a position where you'll believe me and trust me. Finally. It's been said that true growth and transformation aren't the result of our working in our own strength. We can't change ourselves no matter how hard we try. Transformation is only possible when we declare the truth of our weakness stop living in our own strength and receive the power of a loving God. There in your notes, transformation comes when we make room for the Holy Spirit to fill us, empower us, and set us free. Not because we're deserving for his help, but because he loves us. All right, so all this is going on. Jairus comes, worships, tells Jesus the problem. Jesus jumps up, says, let's go, leaves the crowd behind. But Roman numeral number two, ministry interrupted. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, If only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour so Jesus is so touched by this religious leader that his daughter's dying he gets up and goes but here in verse 20 we meet this second desperate person and just all of a sudden this woman with this blood flow problem for 12 years and she interrupts the whole thing here's one of the lessons for rich maybe it means nothing to you but here's a lesson for rich Jesus was so busy doing ministry, but he was not too busy to notice the needs around him. I'll tell you a secret about me. I can walk right by you with your arm hanging off and you bleeding to death sometimes. I get so focused on the task, and it's not that I mean to, and it's not that I'm ignoring you. I have 20,000 things going on in this brain of mine, and I'll walk right by you, but not Jesus. Right? He sees this need and he says, hey, it can wait. Remember, this is the God who knows the future, right? This is the God who says, I'm going to heal the daughter, but I'm going to heal this daughter first. So let's talk about some differences of these two people. Think about this. Jairus had experienced 12 years of joy from his daughter. 12 years earlier, his daughter's born. What a day of celebration. Love, here she is, isn't it great? This woman had experienced 12 years of suffering. 12 years earlier, her blood flow began and life became miserable. Now, it's miserable enough with the physical ailment, but in their culture, according to the Mosaic Law in Leviticus 15:25, if a woman has a blood flow problem, Above the ordinary, she becomes unclean, and she can't be in contact with anyone. Her family, her husband, her neighbors, no one. She can't be around them. There in your notes, in the Jewish custom, a husband could have divorced her for the blood flow problem. So basically, the law has cut her off from life. In fact, the religious leaders of that day would tell her that God was mad at her. That's why she was having this problem. Have you ever had someone tell you that? A physical ailment is because of sin or God's mad at you or hates you? I had a pastor tell my niece in the wheelchair because she couldn't get up and walk that it was either her sin or her parents' sin that caused that. And I want to tell you what, I wanted to get religious with them and put hands on them right there and then. Luke eight forty three. now a woman having a blood flow for 12 years who spent catches all her livelihood on physicians and could not be healed so this woman money medicine nothing else nothing can heal this woman she spent everything trying to get healed and she's desperate and she hears about this Jesus guy right I heard of this Jesus guy, and there he is. If I could just run up and just touch him. Jesus is so powerful. If I could just touch the hem of his robe and do it, you know, without anyone knowing, I'll be healed. You you see, faith is the only currency in God's economy. And, And before we get all esoteric about faith, faith is not a force. Faith is trusting and believing what God has said. And she has witnessed this. She has witnessed healings and miracles. And, you know, the the demons have to run. The wind is stilled. The waves are stilled at the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus. And by the way, here he is. Alistair Begg said this. Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word Trusting in him and receiving and resting on him alone for salvation. And again, Mark 5 26, she had spent all she had and was no better, but she grew worse. Have you ever tried everything that life has to offer? Everything the world has, you've tried it all, you've done it all, and nothing will work. And how many people do we see today in our world? You see during the COVID time that everyone was locked down, you see all these actors and actresses and musicians all killing themselves because they have all the money, they have all they need, but they can't find peace. They spent all they had trying to find peace, but it wouldn't work. Then in Mark 5:27 it says, When she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment." When she heard about Jesus, there's a lesson for us, I think. You see, when we see somebody in desperate need, sure, we we can offer them money, you know, offer to mow their lawns. We could do physical things for them, but ultimately, their real need is Jesus Christ. They have a need, and what their real need is Jesus Christ, and we should point them in that direction. There in your notes, the word touch is the word haptima, Which means to fasten oneself to, adhere to, or cling to. Picture this. This woman clutched his hem. She didn't just go by She grabbed on for dear life. I know where answered prayers come from. I'm clutching on to him. Desperation will cause you, drive you, to clutch on to the only one. And notice she's healed instantly. In the other Gospels, Mark chapter 5, we're told that Jesus asked the question, Who touched me? Now this seems crazy to me, right? If this truly is the God of the universe, the all-knowing, knowing knowing the future God, and he turns around and says, Who touched me? Did he not know? He, He absolutely knew. But he said that for the sake of those who were there that day. Who touched me? And everyone's like, And if you read the other Gospels, it says his disciples say, Lord, look at the crowd. What do you mean who touched you? People are all around you. No, 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 not like that. A miracle just occurred, people, and I want you to understand that. But it, it really got me that the Levitical law wouldn't let her come near anyone, and yet Jesus was not ashamed to be touched by the untouchable. Jesus was not ashamed to be around the untouchable, the unclean. I wonder how many times, you know, it's so hard in our day and age because you don't know if someone is begging because they need it or if, you know, they've got a drug problem. You don't know. But how many times have you seen someone that just looked a little unclean and you're like, please don't come near me, where Jesus would be like, that's the one I want. That's my child right there. And he's not embarrassed. Again, a good Jew wouldn't be around a woman. A good Jew wouldn't let a woman who's unclean touch him. And yet he's not offended. He's not angry at all. He loves her like she's the only person in the universe at that moment. And if you notice her response in the other Gospels, it says, And she bowed down, trembling. But then Jesus says these words to her, Daughter daughter. This is the only time in the Gospels that Jesus used that word, daughter. It's a term of endearment. And it's probably the same term, by the way, that Jairus was using of his daughter. Right? Here's Jairus watching this whole thing unfold. My daughter's home dying. Jesus heals her and then says, she bows down trembling. and He goes, no, daughter, get, get up. You're a daughter, Jesus is claiming this woman as his own special child. Think about that. This unclean woman is my child. And and he's on his way to raise this other girl back from the dead, and yet she's important. And I wonder what Jairus was thinking. If you're Jairus, what are you thinking? Hey, wait. Have you forgotten what you're doing, Jesus? My daughter's dying, and you're busy taking care of her. What about me? How many times have we said that? We see someone else's prayer answered and we go, Jesus, what about me? Have I not served you faithfully all this time? What about me? Why are they getting blessed? Why am I not getting blessed? Why is their prayers answered? Why are my prayers not answered? How come they got the job? I didn't get the job. What about me? The feeling of just being another face in the crowd and Jesus are more important. But this woman believed that going to Jesus would make a difference. And that's what real faith does, is it pushes us towards Jesus. And and you got to know that this woman's faith wasn't perfect, right? She was scared, so she didn't have perfect faith. But she pushed her way through the crowd. I'm getting to Jesus no matter what. Because belief and trust go hand in hand. And, And both Mark and Luke say that Jesus told her to go in peace. She was made whole by Jesus and given peace by Jesus. There in your notes, you can spend all your money, all of your time and all of your peace trying to become whole. But if you don't make your way to Jesus, you'll never know true peace. Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We must really Believe and trust Jesus is the way. So here's this 12-year-old story. Two desperate people, a desperate father and a desperate woman. And all of a sudden, Jesus is done with that one. Roman numeral three, interruption over, back to the need at hand. Look at verse 23. But when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, make room for the girl is not dead but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in, took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. You see, in their culture, there would be professional mourners. Every family, even poor families, would hire people to come in while the body lay in state to do mourning Even a poor family would have at least two flute players, but remember who this guy is. This is Jairus. This is the head of the synagogue, the most religious leader in Capernaum. He's not poor. And so you have all these people, these professional mourners, showing grief that maybe the family can't do in front of other people. And notice the reaction of these mourners when Jesus informs them, she's not dead. She's almost dead. She's not dead. They ridicule. And, and wouldn't we? Could you imagine what they're saying? We've been professional warners for like 20 years. We've been on some death calls. That's dead. She dead. And Jesus is like, she's not dead at all. Get out of the way. In the King James Version there in your notes, Matthew 9, 24 says, And they laughed at him in scorn. And again, just imagine what they're saying. Man, this is like our 450th death. She's dead. So many have asked the question, why did Jesus kick them out of the house? Was it because he was mad at their scorn? Jesus' fame has been growing. He's cast out demons. He's done healings. He's done all this. He's calmed a storm. He, he's done all this stuff. And now as he walks into Jairus' home, a friend informs Jairus, hey, slow down. Your daughter's dead. We're told in the other Gospels. But Jesus said, hey, don't be afraid only believe. Don't be afraid, only believe and she'll be made well. So why did he make the mourners leave? Here's what I thought and tell me your ideas after service. Maybe he didn't want to cast his pearls before swine and figured they're just not going to believe and so get that unbelief out of the house. Maybe. But maybe by clearing the room of all that noise and confusion and all that stuff It finally brought a calm to the place. And then he could do his thing. I don't know. There in your notes, when a person has unbelief in their heart, it's hard for them to see when miracles occur. Right? Oh, she was just sleeping. Oh, it was a bad cold. You know, we'll explain it away. But there was only five people who got to witness this miracle And that's pretty cool in my mind. It was Jairus, his wife, and the three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John. There's three different times that only Peter, James, and John got to be there. And I've often wondered why. You know, we see it here at the raising of Jairus' daughter. We see it at the Mount of Transfiguration. And we see it at the Garden of Gethsemane. And I think, why just them three? Because they were the best? Eh, Oh, Why were they the closest? Well, maybe they were the three that had the most to learn. Right? Maybe they needed it. You, you, you think about Peter, the big mouth, foot-in-mouth Peter, always, always, always saying something he shouldn't. And then you think of the sons of Zebedee, the sons of thunder, James and John. They're always asking Jesus, let us be number two and three in your kingdom. Let us be them. Mark 10, 37 says, grant that we may sit one at your right and one at your left. But then something happens after Pentecost. After the giving of the Holy Spirit and after that comes to rest on people, you see Peter get up for the first time. He gives this sermon and 3,000 souls come to Christ. Something has changed. In Acts chapter 9, Peter actually raises Tabitha back to life, just like he saw Jesus do here. Maybe them three had the most to learn. So if God's always teaching you lessons, you ought to just say, maybe it's because I got the most to learn. Maybe so. Matthew 9, 25, again, Jesus takes the girl by the hand and she arose. This is what Mark 5, 41 says. Then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha kumi, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Talitha kumi is another term of endearment. And it means little lamb, little lamb, little lamb arise. There in your notes, the good shepherd said to the little girl, my little lamb, I say unto you, arise with words of incredible love and power. But then we're told in the other gospels that Jesus told them, see that you tell no one that this happened. Really? Someone came back to life? Tell no one. But in Matthew chapter 9, we're told that this story went out through all the land. Of course it did. Someone died right here. And we've got a few doctors and nurses in the congregation here. And let's say they all ran up here, took his pulse, said, no, he's cold as an ice cube. He's dead. But they come back to life. People are going to hear about that, right? Someone's going to hear. It's going to be kind of hard. Luke tells us that the parents were astonished. Yes, I bet they were. But this is how the fame of Jesus Christ spreads today. When dead people in their sins and trespasses come to life and people see real life coming from previously dead people, there's no hiding it. You just can't hide that. Ephesians 2.1 says, You He made alive who were dead in your sins and trespasses. When people see obvious life Change coming from you, that's better than any other way of getting the gospel spread. So, live Jesus loud. So, let's get practical this morning. Here, Jesus allowed both of these people to get to the very end of themselves so that they could be touched by the Savior. No matter how weak your faith is this morning, make your way to Jesus. There's the answer make your way to Jesus. And so what did this little girl learn about her dad? Since it's Father's Day, now it's my turn to pick on you dads. Us dads. What did this little girl learn about her daddy? There in your notes, Jairus' daughter learned to seek Jesus out in her time of need. Jairus was at the end of his rope, right? So he turns and he cries out for help. By the way, dads, I probably was one of the worst at this. Very rarely did my kids see me vulnerable. Very rarely. And I bet you they could count on one hand the amount of times, but your kids need to see that. You know, he's not Superman. He's got real stuff going on, and he's not afraid to cry out to Jesus. Dads, hear me. Your kids need that. There's power when they see us call out to Jesus, and Jesus answers, by the way. There's real power in that. Next there in your notes, Jairus' daughter learned her father was not ashamed to bring Jesus into their home. You see, cable and internet and television, all that stuff's wonderful to have in your home, but they need Jesus. Our country is in such desperate need of Christ-centered homes, I cannot begin to tell you. And as Christ followers, we need to live him out loud. I'm not saying perfection because I've been up more than a couple hours this morning. I'm telling you, I've already sinned plenty. But they need to see humility. They need to see forgiveness, and they need to see Jesus. And Jairus was just not ashamed. Next there in your notes, Jairus' daughter saw that Jairus was not ashamed to express his love towards her. Here's a little secret. Your kids need to be loved by someone, and if you don't, someone will, and they may not have the best intentions for your children. Jairus loved his daughter so much. Think about this love. He was willing to leave her side as she's dying to go seek out Jesus instead of staying right there. I don't know that I could do that. And and remember who this guy was. He was a rich, powerful man. Yet he humbled himself, all the power, all the money. He humbled himself and he went. What would cause a man like that to forget his place in society? What would cause such a wealthy, powerful man to be humiliated? His daughter's love. His daughter's love. Love for someone else. And he trusted the Lord. And because of the faith that he demonstrated, what a powerful example of God's love to her couple of secrets as we close. Love is not giving your kids everything they want. That is not love. Love corrects. True love corrects. True love is demonstrated by being there. By being there. There in your notes, the Lord is where we're to take the God-sized issues in our life to find help in our time of need. And so I'm going to ask you again, What lengths did the Lord go to to find you? What lengths did he go to? Let me tell you something, he went through a lot of trouble to come and find me. And he was willing, which is just mind boggling, why? But we need to call on the Lord and teach our children the same. Jesus is known as Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. The Lord has promised to never leave us, never to forsake us he is there even during the darkest hours especially during the darkest hours that's when jesus really becomes real when you got to cry out and you become desperate forget who you are forget who's watching and cry out to jesus and that's the kind of faith we need to pass on to our kids and and you know our father in heaven is the best kind of love to emulate to our children you know like Tila was sharing about his dad, my, my dad was an awful father. He, he truly was. He was mentally ill and just an awful dad. And I remember when I first became a dad, I was thinking, how do I do this? How, how do I do this without an example? But Jesus Christ gives us the example, right? We're never going to reach that level of perfection But in Christ, we can be the parents that our kids need. And that's the only way you're going to pass on a faith like that is the power of the Holy Spirit. You're incapable of doing it without His power. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up. And, you know, every week we have people in the back who would just love to pray with you. We are real, real here. I mean, you'll come to our church more than once. You'll realize we'll make mistakes. The lights won't work. PowerPoint won't work. Something will happen you know, we let Tilo sing, something's going to happen, right? But we really love Jesus. And, and this morning, if you got real issues, don't keep them to yourself. Come find one of us. We'd love to pray with you. We all come from real past. We all have scars, we all have pains, we all have hurts, but we all love Jesus, and we'd love to pray with you, and we would love to encourage you that way. So if you need prayer, come see us in the back. Let's pray.) Thank you for listening, and we hope that you are blessed. If you'd like to find out more info about our church or any other resources like sermon notes or things like that, you can check out our website at livingfaithklamath.com. Make sure, if you haven't already, to subscribe or like us on whatever your favorite podcast app is. You'll find us at Living Faith Fellowship Klamath Falls. Again, be blessed.